Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to our online service. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. You know, it's a little odd to be in here in an empty room, but it's great to have the opportunity to at least join together online. Since this is the first time we've used this technology, let me point out a couple of features for you. You'll notice the scripture is on a panel to your right. Also, there's a place that you can submit prayer requests. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Furthermore, since we're not gathered in this room this morning and not having a normal offering time, there is an opportunity for you to give online as well. Now, obviously, we're having to do this because of the coronavirus. So let me start by just asking you this question. How are, how are you doing? How are you doing with all the changes that have come over the last couple of days? How are you doing as you think about this next week? I've had some conversations with different people uh, this week, and it's, it's been apparent that we're a bit all over the map when it comes to how we are responding to this situation. For instance, maybe as, as you are engaging this situation, uh, your immediate response has been one of frustration more than anything else. I think we're, for some of us, we're frustrated that things have been canceled. Uh, we're frustrated just with the way our schedules have been overturned, and now we're having to make logistical adjustments. I think some of us, we're frustrated with the way people have responded. Maybe at some point this week, you were in line at a store, and you, you got stuck waiting behind someone who's hoarding toilet paper. And you're like, really? Toilet paper? Is that, is that really a mature response right now? So I think for some of us, we're, we're just frustrated. For others of us, maybe, maybe the dominant response has, has become one of fear. We're fearful for ourselves. We're fearful maybe for our family and friends. We're fearful because there are important people in our lives that are in high-risk groups. And and maybe part of that, you know, part of the sense of fear is just driven by the fact that there's so much we don't know. We don't know how severe this is going to be in our country. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how many further changes are coming. So for some of us, while this may be a, an experience of frustration, for others, it's, it's more an experience of fear. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how you are responding. But even though we can respond in different ways, I think there's, there's one thing we all have in common. And that is this, for each of us, for all of us, our lives are being interrupted, right? This, this next week isn't going to be the week that, that you anticipated a few days ago. There are going to be some things that were on your calendar that are no longer there. There are going to be some things that are, are on your calendar, but they're going to look very differently this week. So for all of us, our, our lives have been interrupted and and the question is, so how do we handle a situation like this? How do, how do we respond well when our lives have been interrupted? And how do we respond in a way that we're not simply overwhelmed by frustration or overwhelmed by fear? To help us answer these questions, I want to look at the opening part of Psalm 121. We're just going to look at, at really the opening couple of verses. And, you know, as we look at the psalm, I want us to see two steps that I think you and I need to take to respond to a situation like this. And if, if you and I, if we can remind ourselves of these two steps, then I think over the next few days or however long this lasts, if we can engage these two steps, then we will be people who are part of the solution, not people who are part of the panic. So uh, with that in mind, let's Let's just look at the opening part of Psalm 21 as we think about two steps 
that we need to take. Look with me, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So what are these two steps that we need to take? Well, here's the first one. The first one is this. We need to acknowledge our reality. We need to acknowledge our reality. To explain that, let me give you a little bit of the context of this psalm. Psalm 121 is one of 15 psalms that are known as Psalms of Ascent. In fact, in your Bible, you may see that title under the number, a Psalm of Ascent. Now, there are different theories as to where this title comes from, but I think the most likely is this. These 15 psalms were associated with the journey of going up to Jerusalem. Remember, on a regular basis, people in Israel would make the journey to Jerusalem. They would make the journey to participate in sacrifices at the temple. They would make the journey to participate in the annual festivals and festivities that were part of the rhythms of Israel. And in these psalms apparently were associated with that journey, associated with that pilgrimage. Jerusalem is located in the Judean hill country. It's on a plateau about 2,500 feet above sea level. And so if you come from any direction, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you are going up to Jerusalem. And these songs were associated with that journey. So likely this is a psalm of someone headed to Jerusalem for one of those activities. He's headed to worship, he's headed to participate, and, and as he travels, he says this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, to the mountains. Now for us, this may sound like a vacation. You know, it's great to go to the mountains, to the hills. But this wasn't true in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, to travel in the Judean hill country was to travel in an area, a region, that could be filled with danger. For instance, centuries later after the psalm was written, remember Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story of a guy who is mugged on the road to Jerusalem, a, a story of someone who has experiences danger in the Judean hill country. And so as, as you read the opening part of this psalm, I think the author He's, he's excited about going to Jerusalem, but he's aware of his reality. He's aware of the danger that could lie ahead. And in the Judean hill country, there were a couple of different dangers you could experience. First of all, you could experience just the danger of treacherous terrain. Secondly, you could experience the, the danger of being robbed or mugged. So, so the psalm starts with this guy. He's, I think he's excited about going to Jerusalem and to participate in the activities there, but, but he, has, he has an awareness of his reality, a heightened sense of the danger that could be facing him. That's why he asks the question, where does my help come from? Because he's aware of his circumstances. I remember when I was in high school, you know, I grew up in Dallas, and uh, a friend of mine, were, one evening, we're driving down to a sporting event in downtown Dallas, and as we're get, getting closer to downtown we make a wrong turn, and before we know it, we're in a high crime area in the middle of the night. And, and I still remember, I can, I can still feel <laughs> that experience. It, it brings a certain physical reaction to me because I remember as we discovered where we were at, we just had a heightened sense of awareness of our surroundings and, and what was going on around us. And we felt that for about 10 minutes until we figured out how to get to our final destination. You know, likewise, uh, Right now, you and I, we're in this situation where I think we're, we've now got a heightened awareness of our circumstances and of our reality. We're, I mean, we're paying more attention to certain things. We're paying attention to how long we wash our hands. 
We're, we're paying attention to people around us who are, are coughing. We're making adjustments to our schedule. Uh, we're going through these different lifestyle changes. And, and you know, these steps, these steps are good. They're wise. They're things that we need to do to, to get through this well. So I think we, we have to begin, as our life is interrupted this way, by acknowledging our reality. That's exactly what the psalmist does. But But notice he moves quickly to a second step. It's not just one step. There are two steps here. First of all, he acknowledges his reality. But secondly, he acknowledges his hope, right? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's got a heightened sense of his reality and the danger in front of him, right? He's aware of his reality, but he's also keenly aware of his hope as you read this passage I think as he's talking about his hope in God he describes God in two different ways first he acknowledges God as his creator right he says I know this journey can be challenging I know that potentially trouble lies ahead but my help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth He's acknowledging that God is in control even in this situation. But not only does he see God as creator, I think he also sees God as redeemer. And that comes out in, uh, really in verse two, through the word that the author uses for Lord. You see, this is the, the covenantal name for God. And by that I mean this, this is the name that refers to God in relationship with his people. This is the name that refers to God pursuing his people. You know, if you're participating in our Love This Book journey uh, this week, we've been in the book of Leviticus. And as we've looked at a couple of passages in Leviticus, we've been confronted with the reality of God's holiness. Holiness really is the quintessential character of God. I mean, as we talk about his perfection, his beauty, his majesty, his righteousness, his justice, his love, all of that can be summarized in the truth that God is holy. And yet, as as Leviticus helps us see, when we talk about the holiness of God, we then get stuck with, well, then how can we as imperfect people be in relationship with God? And that's what Leviticus is all about. Leviticus is showing the people of Israel how through the sacrificial system, how through things like the Day of the Atonement, God was in pursuit of his people. God was making it possible for us to be in relationship with him. And of course, all of Leviticus ultimately anticipates the work of Jesus Christ. And that final work of bridging the gap between humanity and God. And this reflects the fact that God is in pursuit of us. God is a relational God who is building his relationships with us through the work of Jesus Christ. And in his own way, this author, I think he's he's just attuned to the hope we have because of the nature of God, not only as creator, but as redeemer, as the one who build relationships. So, the author takes two steps. First, he acknowledges his reality, but secondly, he acknowledges his hope. And I think if you and I, if we're going to deal well with the interruptions that we are facing right now, these are two steps that we have to take. We have to acknowledge our reality, but we also have to acknowledge our hope. In fact, I would say this, if you find yourself over these days constantly frustrated, or if you find yourself constantly fearful, can I suggest what is happening is this, you are taking that first step 
but you're not taking the second. You're acknowledging your reality. You've got a heightened sense and awareness of what's going on around you, but you are not acknowledging the hope that we now have as followers of Jesus. Along those lines, I would also say this. If, if the more intentional we are in, in, in taking that first step, right, the more intentional we are in being aware of what's going on around us, then the more intentional also we need to take that second step, the more intentional we need to be in leaning into the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. In fact, it's interesting what happens in this psalm. If you, if you read the psalm carefully, you'll notice the pronouns change. In the first two verses, the, the psalmist uses the first person. He, he says, I and, and me, but it changes in verse 3. Then you go to the second person, you, right? Your foot won't slip. And, and there are different theories as to what's going on here, but I think what's going on here is this. I think the author acknowledges the reality <laughs> Uh, of his situation, and then he acknowledges his hope, and then he starts preaching to himself. He starts reminding himself of the truth. Maybe you've been in a situation like that where, you know, you're dealing with something tough, and you just, they're just things you want to remind yourself. You, you speak to yourself. Come on, George, you can do this. You can do this. And, and what's going on here is the, the author has acknowledged his reality, but now he's acknowledging his hope. He's telling himself, this is the truth of the God we serve. This is the hope I have in this particular situation. So two steps that you and I need to take. Step one, we acknowledge our reality, but step two, we also acknowledge our hope. Now maybe at this point you would say, okay, George, I kind of get at least the first step. Acknowledge our reality. You know, I'm paying attention to what's going around me. I've made some lifestyle changes. I'm monitoring the news. I can acknowledge my reality, but in a tangible way, what does it look like for me as a follower of Christ to, to acknowledge my hope? Well, let me give you just two really concrete ways we can do that. First of all, I think we can do that by being people of prayer. We acknowledge our hope by being people of prayer. One of the reasons we have Psalm 121 is it was intended to be an ongoing guide to prayer. That's part of the way in which the Psalms function. This, this Psalm is, in, is present here to encourage us to pray. And along those lines, I'll just mention a couple of things. First of all, I, I think we need to be people who are praying for our leaders, those in you know, with the, the responsibility of making hard decisions at every level of leadership and every level of government. We need to be praying for the people affected by this virus and pray for healing and protection. We need to pray for the people on the front lines, and, and that may, over time, include some of you. And, and to be people of prayer, let me just, in a, a very practical way, invite you to do something with me. Let me challenge you that, to take one day this next week and, and let that be a day of, of fasting and prayer. Fast during the day, fast during part of the day, if you can work that into your schedule and that works for you and, and use that physical change of, of fasting as, as a prompt throughout the day to be in prayer about this situation. So let's be people of prayer. And as we pray during this situation, can I just also encourage you to be open to the ways in which God may actually want to be at work in your life during this season? You know, this week, in my own life, I've just been challenged by this truth. I'm constantly talking about, you know, how busy my schedule is and how busy my life is. Even this week, I was scheduled to make two trips to the West Coast, and my week was going to be very full. Now all that's changed. My calendar is opening up, and I've been forced to slow down. 
This may be your experience as well. In the midst of that, as we come to God in prayer about this situation, can we also be open to ways in which God wants to be at work in our lives through these unusual circumstances? So let's be people of prayer. Secondly, let's be people who serve. Let's be people who serve. You know, if, 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 we, if we engage this season with prayer and a, and a willingness to acknowledge God as creator and redeemer, what, what that posture will do is I think it will, it will encourage us to be outwardly focused. As I'm praying about the situation, as I'm acknowledging God in the situation, that's going to encourage me to be outwardly focused and to be less self-focused and less self-absorbed. And it encourages me to serve. And once again, here's just a couple of uh, tangible ways in which we can do that. For those of you in, in the life of our church who are part of the groups that we have here in our church, our connect groups, our live, love, lead groups, let me just encourage you to take initiative in staying connected with the other people in your group. Figure out ways to check in on one another and see how you can encourage and pray for one another. And also, as you do that, know that if, if you have a need or you know of someone who has a need, we have a staff member on call here at the church 24-7, and that number is 717-533-4848. So let, let's be attuned to how we can serve and encourage one another. Likewise, let me just challenge you to be attuned to how you can serve and encourage people that you already know. You've, in your network of relationships, school, work, community, uh, your neighborhood, are there, are there people that, that you can serve or ways in which you can be an encouragement to the people around you? Maybe you know someone who, who over this season is, is in danger of becoming isolated or might need some help. How can you step into that situation? Furthermore, if, if this does last or uh, continue for a while, the, the longer it lasts, the more people around us uh, are going to be uh, prone to frustration, to fear, to anxiety. So how can we be people in the midst of those relationships that, that are living out the hope of the gospel? I encourage you to think along those terms just of how you can be a person who is serving those around you. With that in mind, as a church, we've already reached out to local community leaders, both in our municipality as well as the county level. We've reached out to the med center just to let these leaders know if there are any ways in which we can be of assistance or help to our community. You know, we want to be good citizens. We want to be good neighbors. And as those opportunities arise, I will let you know. So let's be people who serve. Rodney Stark, is a, uh, he's a sociologist who's written this fascinating book called The Rise of Christianity. It's the story of how Christianity grew and flourished during the Roman Empire. And as he, as he talks about the different factors that led to the growth of Christianity, one of the ones he mentions is this. He argues that, that Christianity grew and flourished partly because in times of distress, in times of disease, even during epidemics, it was the Christians who stepped up to serve. It was the Christians who stepped up to care for other people, to live out the gospel in very tangible ways. And as they did that, the Christian movement grew and the Christian movement spread. They were people who served. And you know, particularly in a day like today, I think we're, we're being reminded today that ultimately church, church isn't a building, it's not a physical location church is a group of people 
who've been brought together by the mission of the gospel. And even though we're scattered today, we're still the church. So let's be the church. Let's be people who serve. So once again, here's where we're at. Our lives are being interrupted. At this point, we don't know how long this will be. We don't know if this is going to be just a few days. We don't know if it's going to be a few weeks. But our lives are being interrupted. And in response to that interruption, let's take these steps. Let's acknowledge our reality. I mean, we're having to make adjustments. Our lives are having to look different. So let's just acknowledge that. But don't stop there. Don't just take that first step. Secondly, let's acknowledge our hope. Let's lean into the truth that as followers of Jesus, we have this hope. And even though we don't fully understand all that's going on, we know that we are people who are deeply loved by God, deeply pursued by him. And while we don't know how this is going to unfold, we can trust the one who does. So let's be people who are acknowledging our hope. And let's lean into that in tangible ways. Let's live out that hope by being people of prayer and people who serve. I'm going to close our time together this morning in prayer. And after I do that, I really want to encourage you to click on the music links page that goes with this message and listen to the final song. It's called Final Word. And I think it's, it's a great reminder of the hope that we have the hope that we have even when life's interrupted. Let's pray together. So gracious God, we all acknowledge today, however we are dealing with this, that um, our lives are interrupted right now. We don't know how long, we don't know how deep this will be, how severe it will be. There are just so many unknowns for us right now. But in the midst of this interruption, I pray that we would not simply acknowledge our reality and, and seek to respond well, but I pray that we would acknowledge our hope. Father, I thank you in the midst of this that we can be rooted in the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Rooted in the truth that you are not simply the creator, but you are also the redeemer who has brought us into this new relationship. And Father, that anchors us in the hope of the gospel. And with that hope, may we be people of prayer and people who serve. And I pray this in the name of the one who makes this possible, who makes it possible even when life is interrupted. Jesus Christ, amen.